Movies and Booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Five three one zero six is our text number that will cost you thirty cents. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. It is indeed uh, time for uh, movies and booze. We're joined once again by Fanula Jones, Leslie Williams, and Esther McCarthy. Good afternoon to you all. Good afternoon. Hi guys. Uh, right, so uh, I'll, I'll start with you actually, uh, Esther, because uh, once again you're pushing your hyper nationalist agenda with uh, Irish language films. <laughs> <laughs> My great great grandfather was a redcoat, actually. <laughs> it was a great story. He a redcoat, as in, like, yeah. worked in Butlins? No, <laughs> he was one of the um, British Army lads, and he came over oh. to West Waterford and met my great great grandmother and said, It's kind of nice here. I couldn't be bothered fighting. I'm going to marry, get married here. So, um, and did he desert? So, yeah. Pretty much. So I've got a whole lot of mis- right. hot historical All mess right. going long, on. Long line of deserters. <laughs> okay. Um, this is wonderful. And I speak as a as an on Gaelgore who never really told about the Irish language, to be honest with you. And, and I'm thinking about it in, in a whole new way now. Um, I, I suppose like a lot of people, it was kind of uh, foisted upon me at school and I always kind of had little or no interest in it. But like the... The dawn of Irish language cinema, well, not the dawn of it. There'll be some filmmakers would take beef with me on that. But I think there is certainly something special happening in Irish cinema at the moment. And it is uh, here again today with Uncolleen Kuhn. Like, it's a beautiful, beautiful film about something that doesn't really get talked about. And it's kind of the, the autonomy, I suppose, of childhood and how kids don't have any choice in, in the direction their lives are going or what's going on around them. And, mm. By setting it in early 1980s Ireland, I think in a non-specific era, I think we'll all be watching this going, God, yeah, I remember that. The, the 80s weren't great, were they? You know, and yeah. it's, it's all of that. And it's uh, about this little girl who's played by Catherine Clinch. And I have to say, like, I rem- I rem- the most remarkable young Irish performance I've seen since Saoirse Ronan in Atonement um, around the same age now, I think Catherine's 12, going on 13. And she is just exceptional in this um, as a young girl by the name of Colt, who is in a kind of a, a dysfunctional household. It would be it would feed into a lot of our backgrounds. But you look back at it now and go, yeah, that wasn't great. And um, the, the you know, there's just there's a lot of kids there. Um, the mother is exhausted and pregnant again. Uh, the father is down the pub most of the time. And uh, she's she's the quiet girl of the film, and you get the sense of pretty early on in the film that she's a quiet girl because she's learnt to be, yeah, she's learnt to be the the good way. And she gets sent to live with um, a distant aunt and uncle for the summer, and it is just this, like just this revelation for her, I suppose, as to how life can be. Um, and how just little kindnesses can make such a difference you yeah. know, to a child's life. And it's correct really me, thoughtful stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong. And obviously, this is, you know, th- there is something happening with uh, Irish language cinema. But th- this is interestingly, this was uh, is is this uh, adapted from a story or a novel that was written in English? It's Claire Keegan's novel, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Foster. It's a novella. It was written in English, and I know, I know she's got a big fan base, and people really love her writing. I haven't read it, but I know uh, Colin Barade, the writer director of On Colleen Coon, um, sat down one day to read it and said, "This has to be my first feature film." I'm just. He said he was imagining the scenes in his head as he read it. So I think something in her writing and Claire Keegan's writing is very cinematic and really feeds into 
what is a stunning film here. Right, it okay. It's just brilliant. I'm I'm going all out and saying it's up there with the greatest Irish films of all time. I think it's that good. Okay. Um, it's the first the first five star film I'm I'm doing since Sound of Metal, which is well over a year ago now. I'm a bit bit stingy with my stars these days and uh just watched this and he said it's faultless from start to finish. It's absolutely faultless. And Father Marky Mark? Ah, that's gotta be a five star movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is mad. It's kinda like a faith based film, but there's loads of swearing and bad language and boozing and stuff in it. So okay. it's uh, This was produced by Mel Gibson, was it? Um, I'm not sure if he's listed as a producer in it. I'd have to check that. But he stars in it. Uh, he plays... Um, and, and I don't know if Mel Gibson's cancelled. I do know... Well, I devout Catholic who swears and drinks a lot. Mm. Yeah, I do. I do know I want don't want to see him in the kind of role I'm seeing him in here. It's too um, resonant, I'd say. Uh, but he is... Mark Wahlberg's very good in this, actually. And it's based on a mad, mad true story about this guy by the name of Stuart Long, who was a boxer, a bit of a misfit as well, you know, nudie inside of a jail cell and what that looked like, um, who finds this new life when he turns to God and ends up um, having a stab at joining the priesthood. So it's a mad story. I looked it all up afterwards and that that bit can't be true. And it's pretty much all true. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a funny one, though, because it is ultimately a faith based film, but it's dressed very much to not be one of those you yeah know? so it's an interesting there's a lot of talk about religion catholicism faith all of that kind of stuff in it um so we will talk a bit more yeah about that okay as well. well you know grand uh, as long as you don't take it too seriously uh yeah. right so we were uh, actually we were talking uh, a while ago to Patricia mccarthy about her book about uh, um drinking claret in georgian ireland uh leslie was listening to that I interview was. and decided to Bring in some claret. Well, I thought we should talk about claret. I mean, Ireland has a long, happy relationship with Bordeaux, like since, well, because England and Ireland basically were both, England owned Aquitaine because Eleanor of Aquitaine married Henry II. And so as a result, there was huge amounts of wine. At one point, Waterford was the exclusive port that brought all it in. And there's a wine museum, the okay. wine vault down there. Kind of dotted all over Ireland, there's connections with Ireland and Bordeaux. There's a museum in Kinsale in the Desmond Castle, I think. I haven't, I was looking it up, I'm not sure. If it's, I presume it's still open. I, I couldn't find much details about it online, but as far as I know, that's still going. Um, and it's just there it was all this, this big tradition of drinking loads of red wine. And if you read about hospitality, it's always claret that's being served, as they called it, which is the word England and Ireland called it back then. Um, and uh, it's it's I, it, look it's what I like about it. It's the first good wine I ever bought was claret was 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 red Bordeaux. Um, right. Yeah. And, and I, I had actually kept one of them until recently, bought in the, in the mid nineties that I only drank recently. And it, it's it's one of the few wines that keeps for ages and just develops and changes. You know, the natural wine fans feel it's too polished, it's too much about the oak and so on. But I don't know, I think they're missing a trick. I think that there's something just delicious about it. It's just so drinkable and digestible. Um, they're rarely over 13.5%. Most wines these days are 14, 14 yeah, um, They're just really drinkable and they just go really well with food and there's something to collect. And to, yeah, you know, to I always drink. think of Bordeaux as kind of a grown-up wine. I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. it's for grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, having their yeah. grown-up dinner. Exactly. Uh, uh, right. Uh, uh, now, before we get uh, to our first uh, uh, wine, uh, now we've already covered the whole Peter Andre Chipotle thing uh, earlier on in the show, so... We don't have to touch on that. Boom, boom. Uh, so uh, 
How much, like, the, the Wagatha Christie thing just keeps giving. It's, it's, it's just really never going is, to end. Because you know what? When the trial started, I was just a bit like, how much, what else can we get from this? Because I remember that day when Colleen Rooney set up that sting operation and announced it on Instagram, you know, that allegedly, seemingly she'd done all this investigation that Rebecca Vardy's account uh, was leaking all these fake stories about her. Like, the thrill, the memes, I will never get over it. But Rebecca Vardy's obviously been given evidence all this week and it's just been... The lines have just been incredible. Even yesterday when she was talking about, there was obviously a thing, her agent, uh, they were trying to access, you know, more messages via her phone. Uh, They couldn't get the specific phone and the specific WhatsApp chats because uh, she had allegedly dropped the phone into the North Sea. They couldn't get the phone, bottom of the ocean. And, you know, one of the barristers made reference to that. You know, the phone is at the bottom of the ocean with Davy Jones, to which Rebecca Verdi replies, who is Davy Jones, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> incredible. Davy Jones' locker, yeah. You, this is the trial I want live streamed. I don't care yeah. about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I don't. But anyway, uh, Colleen Rooney uh, started uh, giving her evidence today in the High Court. And she basically said that the sting operation was a last resort for her. Um, she just really wanted the false stories t- to stop. She was at a point in her relationship with husband Wayne Rooney, you know, that they, obviously, he had his issues with, you know, extramarital activities and all that jazz. And she acknowledges that and basically said, look, we were trying to work through things and these leaking of stories. Like, that was really hard because we didn't know whether we were going to get back together and everything else. The barrister obviously asked her, look, were you aware of the abuse that Vardy was going to face? And she said that was obviously never her intention. It's not in my nature to... Um, and also questioned her following. Like, she acknowledged that, yes, obviously she does have a large following, but when, when she was asked whether they were loyal, she was said, loyal, I'm not too sure about. So, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see where this goes because obviously the burden of proof was on Colleen because it's Rebecca suing her for libel. Yeah. Um, but some of the stuff that has come out is, like, pretty damning. Like, I think it's... I don't think there's any real, any real winner regardless of the legal outcome. Like, they'll both lose a lot of money... Rebecca, I don't know, I just really think she did not think this through suing her because the stuff that's, the Peter Andre stuff, everything else, it's just like, I think whatever attempt she wanted to at pulling back her reputation, I just think it's... It's amazing asked. how much other, uh, other aspects, like the whole Peter Andre thing, other aspects of her life that have nothing to do with this, they've, they've managed to drag into this. Like the just, other stories that were referenced, you know, your man Drinkwater, that she was allegedly, supposedly talking to her agent about selling that story. Uh, uh, stories around her, uh, another friend, Daniel Lloyd, I think it was, and a miscarriage she'd suffered. Like, it's just, it's painted whether it's whether it's true or not or whatever the outcome is she has, does not come out of this well at all and whether she leaked these or not I think she was definitely you know in coots with the press had a very cosy relationship with them and knew how to play them do you know what I learned today as well right when we're talking about when we get to see the Wagatha Christie uh, saga on the small screen which I hope we do as some kind of docu-series I can't wait or if they adapt it but apparently they were going to do a series following Jamie Verdi obviously Rebecca's husband, Mm. the Leicester City striker. And apparently the actor that was in the running to play Rebecca in that, it's been scrapped since obviously, was Meghan Markle. Isn't that (laughs) hilarious? (laughs) That's brilliant. Can you imagine? Like, (laughs) make it happen. Someone make it happen. I need to see that. That's parallel universe stuff. Isn't it? It's like, when we talk about the multiverse of madness, I want to be in that multiverse. Speaking of which, uh, now Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Olsen has been giving interviews this week. And like from, it sounds like the poor thing is like trapped. She's trying her very best not to say anything negative about Marvel because it's paying her bills and all the rest of it. But it sounds like she's kind of 
let me out of here, please. She's kind of talking out two sides of her mouth in one sense because in some interviews she's like vehemently defending them because obviously Marvel gets a lot of flack for me included and from like film bros to be like, it's not real cinema, whatever. But on the other hand, and we've seen this with like the crazy contracts that Marvel can come out with and we saw Scarlett Johansson like kind of fight, well, I suppose that was more with Disney as well in terms of money and stuff. But she's basically come out and said she was really frustrated in her contract because she ended up losing out on roles. Like, she was supposed to be in The, the Lobster, opposite mm. Colin Farrell. Um, and she'd spoken about that before, but this is a more recent interview where she just said she started to feel really frustrated. I had this job security, but I was losing these pieces that I felt were more part of my being. Um, and she was like, it did take me away from the physical ability to do these other jobs. And she was just like, that's me being completely honest. But then, like, she said she did WandaVision. She was happy out. She did the three-film contract then at the end of Infinity War. But she's also said like she's very open to Wanda having her own standalone film. So I mean, it's like money talks, you know, yeah, like she recognises yeah. that. And she's kind of one of the more, especially whatever phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe we're in, she's one of the more beloved, followed mm. characters, I think. So, mm. um, but yeah, she was also saying earlier this month, you know, as I said, because you do have people coming out and criticising Marvel for having this nearly monopoly on cinema, but she basically said, and she acknowledged, she said, I'm not saying we're making indie art films, but that criticism, I just think it takes away from our crew um, and just the fact that it gives people loads and loads of jobs, you know, and makes, yeah, able to keep them in appointment. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you can say that. Whatever you yeah, say, you Lizzie, say that. that's yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I hate when people uh, uh, <laughs> criticise our munitions factory. We're giving lots of people <laughs> employment. Uh, I'm not really thinking what happens at the end of the process. Let's move on to the wine. Yes. I just had a sip uh, yeah. uh, and it's, like that's it's... delicious. <laughs> oh my God, Leslie. That's, that's, yeah. Good, good, good. So that is, um, well, I actually hadn't tasted that much until recently. Um, it's it's it was it's Chateau Mauvaisin Barton. So the Barton family were very well known. Course, they yeah. used to own the K Club Straffen House. That was them. Um, they moved over in about the early 18th century, 1705 or something. But uh, Langwa Barton, where the family still lives. Um, Hugh just died or not Hugh Anthony just died and his daughter Lillian now I think lives in Langua and her kids uh, son and daughter well one of the at least one of them lives in Movazan Barton which is another, another place that they bought so they own about four chateaus basically but they've always been uh, fairly priced I mean the wines are really well made mm. they've they've. I mean I, that was the first good wine I ever bought was uh, I remember it was £18.50 in O'Brien's in about 1993 or something like this uh, I remember it went up to 25 and I thought that's ridiculous I'm not spending that much now it would be a couple of hundred but they were always fairly priced I mean mm. in those days you could drink Chateau Margot for 60 quid which was a lot but now it's a thousand. Yeah. Okay, that's inflation for you. But, there, yeah. um, so if we just to show you where we, are, where we are, we're in the Medoc, right? So that's the bit, the peninsula sticking up above Bordeaux. Up to, you drive up the D2 and that's um, the first place you come to. Well, you'll be visiting Margot, Saint-Julien, Poyac. Uh, they're the main village of Saint-Estef. But so Mouly is, is a little bit um, uh, west of that, I think, uh, heading towards the sea. So there's actually a bit of sea influence in this. Uh, grapes are half and half Cabernet Merlot, a bit more Merlot than Cabernet, um, which was less common on that side of the river. That side of the river is usually Cabernet. The other side of the river, Saint-Emilion, is usually more Merlot. But they like to blend. They like to have a bit of the sort of blackcurrant ripeness structure from the Cabernet and a bit yeah. of the soft plumminess from the Merlot and the idea being then to give you balance and this is 2018 it's so young and it's still drinking really really well and this, yeah. this, will, this will keep 15, 20 years well 15 years anyway I'd say you know um, 33, 95 <laughs> yeah. let me mention a couple of shops uh, JJ O'Driscoll in Cork um, I think the Wine Centre Kilkenny Vintry in Rathgar just a in Port Marnock I know that Tommy and Julie bought about 100 cases of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, this one or the next one maybe the next one actually they bought a, um, actually sorry this is not in the Vintry it's the next one 
That's the venue. This is O'Brien's. It's probably the best place to go to get this, but you will okay. find it in a few independents at about 33. Just Divine does have it. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, well, it's, anyway, no. it's absolutely it's lovely. Did, did, the, ba- did the Barton family, you know, it's it's centuries since they moved mm. over to France. But they've kept did, Irish citizenship, you know. Oh, have they? All of them? <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, and like, do they, like <laughs> they just with this odd thing, they're all speaking with a kind of a Wexford accent <laughs> in, this, in the middle of a chateau. <laughs> <you> <laughs> they talk with quite plummy English accents. <laughs> all right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think they might send the kids to Eton and things like this. To be fair, they're from Manor, and they were a Protestant family. A lot of the Irish... A lot of the Irish connections with Bordeaux would have been Catholic uh, second sons and flight of the earls. A lot of other land was confiscated mm. and they had no option but to move to France, basically. And those Irish connections with Bordeaux. And look, you know, in the 18th century, we were drinking more red Bordeaux than all of the UK together, like as in as in England, Scotland and yeah. Wales. But not just more, we were drinking double. <laughs> there was okay. five bottles a day, yeah. guys, and stuff. <laughs> not a kidney left <laughs> in the country. <laughs> exactly. I don't know why the reputation for drinking. <laughs> yes, I don't know where that could have come from. Uh, all right, so Esther uh, on Colleen Cahin, uh, on Colleen Cohen uh, after the break, I assume. Absolutely, yeah. Right, okie dokie. The quiet girl coming up. Shasamach, good hour to me, splech a carter. Tom Derrick, a bacus tosser. It was a fram, a miscotation. Tom Fram Vest. Oh, got a harlequin, I heard. This old Dodger Right, that's on Colleen Cohen. Uh, right, so uh, give us the outline of uh, this, the story here. Um, it's it's a small enough story, ostensibly, Sean. It's about a load of big stuff, but ostensibly, it is girl goes on holiday with distant relatives for summer, um, and there's there's just. So much perfect about this. All of the magic is happening here in this film. It's all of the perfect storm stuff. Um, and right back to the, the final scene, which I, of course, won't give away, but I've a grow. Um, I'll be showing in Irish words now. It's it's catching. Um, I've a grow for a final great scene in a film. I think it can just really underline a great movie and stamp it forever in your memory. Um, I'm thinking nobody's perfect and some like it hot. Um, I'm very fond of the final scene in Monsters, Inc. where Sully gets to the door fixed and gets to meet Boo again. And the final scene in this film is absolutely spectacular. And I think underlines what the whole film is. You'll remember it. You'll be picking yourself up, up off the floor, sobbing when it happens. And uh, it is just really, really special. This um, And... It's perfect as well. It's 90 perfect minutes. I'm a big fan of a, of a 90 minute film at the moment. And I think this one is destined to find a place among the all time greats of Irish cinema for me. Um, all the more spectacular that it is a first time writer director by the name of Colin Barade, uh, who set up a production company with his wife who produced this film, uh, Clean and Lee Cruelly a couple of years ago and this is just their first feature. Now he's a lot of filmmaking experience in shorts and documentaries um, for TG Cahar, but it is, I just think when you see a first time filmmaker making something like this, you just go, oh my gosh, what have they got for us next, you know? Uh, so a Dublin, a young Dubliner by the name of Catherine Clinch, uh, who's done a little bit of amateur dramatics as a hobby, but has never acted to camera before, Sean, hmm. is here as a caught uh, she's a young girl living in this rural Irish community. Um, you know fairly fairly early on that the kids in this family are pretty oppressed. Uh, the very first scene sees her hiding out in the field when her siblings are trying to call her to come in. Um, she's a very withdrawn girl, pale. Her shoulders are kind of hunched over. 
um, and you soon kind of suspect that she's learned to be that way because of the circumstances of her life. Um, she lives in an overcrowded accommodation with her siblings. Um, her mother, who's played by Katni Kionig, is um, exhausted and pregnant again. Uh, because, you know, let's face it, in these, in these times you wouldn't have a choice. There wasn't contraception in Ireland at the time. Um, and in the background you meet this kind of moody, volatile father, uh, played by Michael Patrick, who's, you know, the first scene we meet him, he's hungover. Uh, hmm. The kids are all quiet when he comes into the room, you know, they've been chattering and gossiping. Um, and he, he just, he's just one of these men who looms large in the film from early on. Um, so she can't, the mother can't, imagine the prospect of minding the family through another difficult pregnancy so decides and again I think this speaks to the autonomy of the child which is a huge theme in this film coach is sent off packing to stay with relatives she's never met without even a discussion about it you know it's just get in the car you're heading off for the summer um so there's all the confusion and overwhelming nature of that uh she's about eight in the film so she's trying to absorb what's going on you know and she, so this woman is, she is family, but she's an estranged aunt, I suppose. She's a, a cousin of the mother who's very concerned about the mother, but has learned to keep her distance from this family. Um, she is brilliantly played by Carrie Crowley, who people will know from telly uh, and from various things. But she is absolutely fantastic here. Uh, she's overjoyed at the prospect of having a, a child in the house for the summer. But her husband is who's played by Andrew Bennett, who's really good as well, is less so he's a bit more circumspect about the new arrival for reasons we find out later. Um at one stage uh Eileen says something to Cot and Cot says, is that supposed to be a secret? And she's quite disturbed by this and says, There are no secrets in this house. Whatever you've been told before, there are no secrets in this house. Do you understand that? But it turns out that there are secrets in this house um, that are revealed very gradually and slowly um, through the course of the film. And I just think this is fantastic. Like she just she she just blossoms as a child um, as she spends this rural Irish summer in a farm. You can you can almost imagine it in your mind's eye of, of feeding memories for her for years and years to come. Um, and I have to give a, a shout out to Kate McCullough, the cinematographer who brings this kind of Terence Malick-like dreaminess to it. Um, it's a stunning-looking film, and you can see through your mind's eye how this will be a really, really formative summer for this child. Um, bonds with family, works with animals, uh, but there are hints of a tragedy in this family's life uh, that she is trying to understand and process as a child, I suppose, that are, you know, they're... They don't come through till very later later in the film. Another thing I loved about it is it's shot from the height and perspective of Koch. Do you remember when you were small and there'd be adults talking mm, around you mm. and you'd be looking up and, and everyone so, seemed so big and otherworldly? Like they've actually captured that um, in a film. I don't know I've ever seen it done in this way before. On, and, and uh, they, on E.T. a lot of that was shot uh, uh, from that level. That's a great example. I was trying to think of another example coming on. Uh, yeah, that is true. That is true. You're down there with Drew, with Drew Barrymore. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's so shot in that way. At the heart of the film is, is Catherine Clinch. 
I, I just take my hat off to her. It's a remarkable, I was going to call it a child performance. I'm going to call it an acting performance. Yeah, of course. Um, because there's no overacting. There's no, um, you know, tendency to over emote, which can be taught to, ch- to children acting very young. It's very, very subtle. It's really mature. Um, I think when I was talking to Colin Braid recently, he said she just has this ability to give witness to what's going on around her and I think that takes courage as an actor to kind of feel that um, it's ex- extraordinary I was talking to her and her mom a couple of weeks ago she's not sure she wants to be an actor yet Sean she thinks you know she's only 12 she has to think yeah. about what she, whether she wants to do it or not for the rest of her life uh, but I think it's there for her if she wants it it's a, an, an absolute raw talent there and uh, I adored this film. I, right. I, I absolutely adored it. Okay, well congrats, um, congratulations to all involved there. Particularly yeah. uh, Cleanly Cruelly who uh, uh, you mentioned the producer on this film who if I'm not mistaken used to work at News Talk uh, ah. back a million years ago. I thought I the name was familiar. That. If it's the same one but uh, um, uh, I'm assuming it is. There you go. Well done, Dan. This is in cinemas now. This is in cinemas, yeah. And it does feel like Irish language cinema is having a moment. And it's there's a, music, a musicality to the language in this as well that I don't remember growing up at school. It's got mm-hmm. me interested in Irish again. It really has. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. All right, yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Uh, the only, uh, uh, only one small problem with this movie, at least 95% of the people can't understand it. Uh, says Jar. Well, you know that's why we have subtitles, uh, and that's why people watch all sorts of things and all sorts of languages on Netflix, uh, for example. Uh, Oshin wants to know: Is it suitable for kids around twelve? Um, yeah, the search on it is twelve A, so it mm. certainly falls comfortably within that bracket. And I do think it gives a lovely child's perspective. I think it would be a special film to bring a child to. Obviously, there are kind of more grown-up teens. That's why the A is there. Uh, but there is nothing that would trouble me. Uh, now for a 12-year-old yeah. child. No. Okay. Uh, someone else says he's obviously seen it. I suspected that the father was very instrumental in Koch's quietness, uh, unsaid but suspicious in a dark way, his relationship with the girl. That may be again, sp- spoiler heavy, that one. Again, I think you can... The film is open to interpretation. Like, I watched it um, with the hobby... Owen and there's eight years between us and we were both arguing how it fed into our childhoods more so hmm. I think that is another great gift to the film that you do read things in and it, it, it invites you to think and, and, and take your own interpretation or interpretation as a viewer Right, okay, well that's, yeah, yeah then it has it all uh, on, yeah. uh, I can read it on wine Sheila uh, says, can, is there any chance you could tell us the name of the wine a little more clearly please says Sheila, we'd like to apologise for <laughs> Leslie's appalling <laughs> enunciation Mauvaisin <laughs> Baton, sorry, Movesan, M A U V E Movesan, M A U V E S I N. It was originally called Movesan, and then when they bought it, um, they realised it was another Movesan elsewhere, so they decided to put Barton on the end. So M A U V E S I N, Movesan, Barton. Okay, well there you go. Hope that was uh, clear enough for you, uh, <laughs> Sheila. Uh, right, I don't know, has has Top Gun hasn't arrived here yet, has it, or will it be here very shortly? Is it? It's the end of next week or the end of the week after. From what I've seen, I know some people have seen gone to press screenings and they were very impressed. They said it's just like okay. all over again, like just so fresh. Tom Cruise is as good as ever, but we'll see. I'm right. going to see it the next week, so I'll uh, I'll let you know. Uh, who was saying that they saw Tom Cruise in the flesh? I forget now who it was, but said you know Tom's had a bit of work done, but obviously the very best surgeons uh, mm. possible so we can get away with the fact that uh, a man in his late 50s is still doing the same job and hasn't been promoted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not uh, not so much though for poor Kelly McGuinness who's uh, um, this, uh, but, but, and this story just 
this sums it up. Yeah. This is really the heart of Hollywood. Yeah. There's a certain limit past which you're not allowed to be, a certain age past which you're not allowed to be a woman in the movies. And she even acknowledged this herself. So basically, Kelly McG- uh, McGillis played Charlie in the original and obviously was with was getting off with Tom Cruise in the she's original the Top Gun movie. She's been down all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flat out bending down. Um, but she was basically never asked to be in this reboot. Neither was Meg Ryan. Uh, she played Goose's wife. Um, and the director basically just came out and said give such a spoofy answer for it but was basically just like those were stories that uh, they were we were never throwing them around I didn't want every storyline to always be looking backwards it was important to introduce some new characters and like three quarters of the new characters are men so it's like Miles Teller Glenn Powell Monica yeah. Barbaro and Jay Ellis and like the whole thing is uh, Miles Teller is Rooster Bradshaw so he's like Goose's son and that's the whole uh, tension there because Tom Cruise is obviously teaching him how to be a pilot and everything like that. Um, but she even said it herself in 2019 that she was not asked to star in it. And her quote was very funny. She said, I'm old and I'm fat and I look age appropriate for what my age is. And that is not what the whole scene <laughs> is about. To me, I'd much rather feel absolutely in my skin and who I am at my own age as opposed to placing value on all that other stuff. So Jennifer Connelly plays the love interest in the Top Gun Maverick now. Yeah. She's like, she's 51. But the whole thing is, yeah, she but was Jennifer Connelly is living on her nerves to say that thin. <laughs> I mean, really, the amount of work she must have to do, uh, to, to go, she's like a shtick. Yeah, th- but the whole thing was she was referenced in the first movie as like a fling. That's how they're just trying to bring her back. And now it's like, she's a single mom and she like owns a bar and Tom Cruise runs into her, I don't know, and then they just start getting off with each other, so... I'm yeah, so excited. I feel like it's going to be a good blockbuster but drama. Saying, but it's kind of like so calculated that, okay, that's not weird if he's get, getting off with her. It's very convenient. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's, it's, very convenient. It's so contrived. Now, Eva Mendes, where the hell has she been? She kind of semi-retired. So, like, the last thing she was in was uh, Ryan Gosling's directorial debut, I think it was Lost River in 2014, because they're obviously together. Um, no, actually, sorry, that's not true. She was in an episode of Bluey in 2021, which you'll know if you have kids that hate you. It's that dog. An um, yeah, yeah. Australian dog, I think. <laughs> I okay, yeah. People, yeah, anyway, yeah. the parents listening will know. Yeah. Um, but basically, she's on this mad promotional trail at the minute because she's co-founded, or sorry, I don't think she co-founded, but she co-owns it now, this smart sponge company. So she's doing lots of interviews, right? It's insane, <laughs> honestly. It's like this sponge where it's basically like it has a thing on it that when you use it enough, the thing comes off. So it tells you that it's like too dirty to be used anymore. So for some reason, she's doing all these interviews now to basically be like, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing was that... No, sorry, what are these sponges? Cl- is this for cleaning windows? Like, Is they, she out oh, cleaning they, people's houses? No, they clean like anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> clean anything and they're like, what my anti-micro whatever so they don't smell. Like it's in... Because I, I didn't realise this. I saw the story about her talking about not coming back and then when I dug into it, it was like, okay, you're, the, you're doing this because you want to hawk your... Like sponge site stuff. sponge site project, but anyway, yeah, she was on the View promoting her Scurra Sponge or whatever they're called it, and they asked her, you know, are you going to come back to acting? And she has two daughters with Ryan Gosling now, and she's basically said, I've such a short list of what I'll do before kids, and she said she won't do violence, um, and she won't do anything like sexual. She said her list is short in terms of potential projects, um, but there are a lot of rumors around her maybe coming back to the Fast and Furious because obviously they're coming back to 
or the last one is coming up and she was in the first one. I think she was in a cameo in Fast Five but was like uncredited. But it's funny, if you go onto her Instagram, someone asked her about it. Like someone asked her if she's coming back to the Fast and Furious franchise. And her reply was, and I kid you not, I'm paraphrasing, but it was essentially this. Um, if they let me use my scurra sponges on the Fast and Furious cars, <laughs> I'll come back. Like, to be that rich, to be that rich, it's, anyway. Ah, you got to admire that. Yeah. You really I do, have to. I do, I really absolutely have to do. That. Yeah, good for her. Uh, right, uh, just so you know as well, because we were talking, uh, um, Esther was raving there about, and Colleen Cohen, uh, which is their first five star she's given to you in well over a year. Uh, the director of that film is on Splunk tonight at 10pm uh, here on News Talk. Right, you are. Mairead says, uh, Fanula, Bluey is a masterpiece. I actively encourage my toddler to watch it. Highlight of my day, to be honest. Uh, says Mairead, so there you go. Okay, there you uh, go. Uh, James says, I love German red wines, but hardly see it outside Germany. Why? James uh, wants well, to. He's not looking hard enough. If he goes to independent <laughs> off-licenses, he will find absolutely loads of them. Vintry has one from Martin Vassmer. They have another one from... Uh, I can't remember his name. There's a, it's one about twelve ninety nine. They will be mainly Spätburgunder or Pinot Noir, as they call it. Uh, if he goes to any good independent off license, I mean, he's true. He won't find it in um, supermarkets so much. The other reason is they drink it themselves. I mean, they they are big enthusiasts of their own wine. They don't tend to. I mean, they do export, but it you know the best stuff tends to stay in Germany. But if any good independent off license, like like so, I don't know, in Waterford Worldwide Wines, um, in Cork, um, I'd say JJ Risk will probably have some. I'd say. Uh, O'Donovan's would probably even have that Martin's Vassmer uh, Justify in Port Marnock and McHugh's any kind of decent uh, Redmond's and Ranelagh certainly has about mm. four or five of them so he just needs to go to a good independent and he will find it Right okay well let's move on right, to so, our second um, wine of the Yeah day. so actually just in relation to what we were saying about what, do the Barton family consider themselves Irish a friend of mine Joe Coyle has just texted me to say uh, the frog from the bog was what he liked to call himself <laughs> <laughs> so he considers yeah. themselves a bit of both um, Anyway so this second one is uh, from the village of Margo which is a much more prestigious village than Muli Omwadok, which is where the previous one. It's the second wine of Chateau Dongloudé. So it's D apostrophe A N G L U D E T, Dongloudé. And this is the second wine. Uh, the, the main wine, the first wine is about 60. This is 45. But it's okay. 2016, great vintage. I just think it's drinking really white nicely. There's a little bit of that sort of rich violet kind of thing and the black currants and so on. Mm. A little bit of extra age. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so silky. It's, and this is definitely in JJ Driscoll and in Just Divine and in Vintry and in sort of good independence. Um, I think some value in Churchtown has it. And I think uh, it, it is around. It's, uh, Colonel Cassidy brings it in for, um, and uh, he's good in the independence basically but just lots of fruit um, just in relation to exploring wine I mean I think the book is great by the way I really do um, mm. one or two wine things I might t- tighten slightly yeah, but, okay. but other than that but that's okay that's just because that's my, my nerdiness but um, it is worth going down to Waterford to that place there's the Waterford Treasures Museums actually I don't know can I just mention this the Waterford Treasures Museum there's about four or five museums down there including Museum of Wristwatches and Clocks and so on they're having a festival next weekend uh, the, the oh music, yes we were actually we, t- t- we interviewed that. somebody about that yeah, yeah it's really good it's I've written a thing about yeah, that yeah, Really, yeah. There is basically the equivalent of Yves Saint Laurent of the watch world. Vianney mm. Halter is coming, and the equivalent of like it's it's there's watches there that are going to be worth five hundred thousand euros, like literally, crazy to look at. Probably and you're a big fan of watches. I've written about that. it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's another. So I just wanted to give them a little plug because I yeah. think they've been. Okay, yeah, well, so my, but well, that, so a, that's it. But actually, the wine, do you like it anyway? It's good, oh, good. absolutely. When a when it says Margot on a label, mm-hmm. what does that mean? It means exactly? it's from the uh, commune of Margot, which is right. a, a, okay. a, a, a defined village. Like it stops at that. Order and that road and that fence. Um, now, 
Traditionally, I mean, it depends on obviously where you are. It's like in Burgundy, if you're from a vineyard, it depends on whether you're down by the road or up at the castle. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, but in general, it just means that it's... Um, yeah. Margot's traditionally are a little lighter, a little more violet scented, a little more fragrant, a little more, they used to say feminine, I don't kind of use those words, but, but some more elegant, more kind mm. of um, easier to drink, whereas the wines from Poyac, which is uh, two villages up, um, tended to be darker, denser, um, more meaty, and then Santa Steph even more so because because they're, the soils are different. Um, so you're at sandy, stony soils here again. You are, um, it's reclaimed land. They got the Dutch in, uh, in the like the 15th century or something to basically help reclaim this land um, because they're good at you know dikes and things like this because it was originally um, reclaimed from the sea it was marshland basically so that's sort of stony soil and decent bit of sun but it's a marginal climate this is really important to Bordeaux so the, the vintage does matter it's the one region where you do need to pay attention to vintage but with global warming the vintage is just getting better and better so you know. yeah okay until, yeah. until yeah. it won't uh, uh, of course uh, right we might as well uh, move on to our second movie of the day it is Father Stew here's a clip For example, I am going to give up chocolate. Hey, you guys should protest. She needs sweetening. (laughs) Yeah, pick something else. Well, what are you going to give up, Stu? Me? Uh, I was thinking maybe you guys so I could sleep in on Sundays. No! Night, night. Alcohol. Hey, that's not fair. You gotta pick something good that you'll miss to make it count. I like this kid. <laughs> oh, it's kind of a Beverly Hillbillies type uh, uh, vibe going on here. I think it's trying to be like a kind of a David O. Russell film where everyone's a bit like talky and from slightly rough background and has difficult relationships and uh, that kind of thing. So it's trying to bring a bit of an edge. Like a lot more... Um, bad language than I expected from a kind of a faith-based film. So I think they're trying to move away from that category a little um, in the in the telling of this and I suppose with the casting of someone like Mike, Mark Wahlberg as well. Like it's a good cast in this. Like we've got Jackie Weaver as well and Teresa Ruse and you know there, there must have been something of interest in this but I think the story just meanders a little bit too much. Having said that it is quite a story. Like it's this guy by the name of Stuart Long um, kind of from the rough side of the tracks, an American amateur boxer struggling for years to break into the professional game. Uh, but by the time we meet him in the early 90s, he's already pretty much over the hill. He hasn't even gotten the chance to turn pro. One of the best bo- boxers in his state, but his body has been battered and ravaged by the sport. Um, and he's being warned, you know, that he's he's getting an inflammatory response and really alarm bell stuff after every fight and the doctors are saying you're going to do yourself permanent damage um so he's also a bit of a brat outside of the ring uh likes to get into very scrapes with the law but takes a shine to this girl who comes into a shop he's working in oh yeah he's decided he's moving to hollywood to become a movie star uh because that's the kind of thing he does and he's working in a shop of course uh not being a movie star but he runs into this girl by the name of carmen who's played by Teresa ruse um She's having none of it. He's kind of trying to chat her up, ask her out. And it's it's the 90s. This would be stalkery now, but it would, mm. would have been called persistent then. Yeah. Uh, so he decides he is, um, he finds out that she's a practicing Catholic and starts attending her local mass and to try and ingratiate himself to her. They kind of form this relationship. She takes a real shine to him. They start dating 
but he's a troubled character. Um, he's got this volatile relationship with his dad, who's this near do well character, played by Mel Gibson, who probably thinks he's in a documentary, and um, <laughs> a loving but fiery one then with his mother, who's played by Jackie Weaver, who I, the Australian actress who I always like watching. Um, she's very good in it actually, and. Uh, yeah, she's concerned as well with his physical health and what's happening and, and, and that all unfolds in the third quarter of the film, I suppose. But he has this... Now, there is a scene in this film that George Byrne would have called an I hear moment. Um, and it is... He has a, a... But it's actually true. So I don't know what to do with that. But you right, are watching yes. it going, real, really? He has this motorcycle accident and he has an epiphany in the literal meaning of the word... Um, after this accident, which he's very badly hurt and decides, um, having had a chat with Mary, the Virgin Mary, that he is going to join the priesthood. Um, so this comes, this comes as news to Carmen, who is a practicing Catholic, but thought she was going to be getting married to this guy. And that all unfolds. I checked it all out. It's, it's all pretty much true. It's based on this real character, a US character by the name of Stuart Long. I think it's, it's a very cluttered, messy kind of film, but I think Mark Wahlberg is very good in it and kind of keeps it watchable pretty much throughout, you know. Right, okay, and and I suppose, no, you can't tell us what happens at the end. Is this guy, but the guy this is based on, is he still, like, trotting around the place? Even that's a spoiler. Okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, the, I think the, le- the less you know about him, the better, and you can look him up and go, that can't be real, and then find out that it is afterwards. Okay. He's, a, uh, he's only, quite a character. Only because Mel Gibson is somehow involved with this. Uh, the, the, is this a story about how people find their own path, even if it's an unexpected one? Or is this kind of really like God propaganda? There is a lot of preaching in it. Um, they try and deconstruct preaching. They quote the they, they, they quote the Bible a lot, but they swear while they're doing so. And they chat about it almost as if it's a philosophical debate, um, which I found kind of intriguing. I don't know that it always works, um, but it was it's it's an approach, I suppose, I've, I've not seen in a movie of this kind before, you know. OK. All right. Is, yeah. this, is this in cinemas as well? This is in cinemas from today. Yep. Right. OK. If you like that sort of thing. Right. OK. Uh, as you can guess, I'm sound a bit sceptical. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're nearly finished now. I do want to end things on a positive note. There is a housing crisis. Good news. Niall Horan's gaff is for sale. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, he bought a house, or I think it was, he was looking for a house for his mum. So he bought the house for his mum. So he'd have somewhere to stay when he was at home or whatever. Um, but it's now back up for sale. He bought it for five six five. It's up for seven seven five thousand. Right. How, how am I so bad with numbers? Okay. Seven hundred and seventy five thousand. If anyone has that, it's in Mullingar. Um, you'll have your own heated outdoor swimming pool. Um, lots of rooms. Ten divine. acres. Yeah. There's, there's there you a go. Good wine shop down in Mullingar. Is there? there you yeah. go. As well. There you go. It's got it all. Well, is the ten acres planted? <laughs> is there spuds there or anything like that? Or, or I'm, I'm not sure. I would say get on to the auctioneers if you're interested. I might. You know, I'm looking. Right, okay. Does, do you know how many bedrooms are in it? Is it ten bedrooms? Six bedroom pad. Six yeah, bedrooms. Six bedrooms. Oh, geez, who needs ten bedrooms? Who has six friends? Oh, I don't have six people I want to stay over. Like Okay, people have children. Oh, sorry. Uh, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, you sorry, may, uh, sorry, sorry. No, sorry, you sorry. have four children and in that and the fifth uh, um uh, one bedroom each. Okay. Uh, and then you have two bedrooms for the couple for when they fight. Oh, intro. Yeah. I look at this insight. Thank yeah, you so much. There you go. That's 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 your life <laughs> planned out for you. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, that's our laugh for today. Thanks to Fanula and Esther and Leslie. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk.
Pick up your phone while driving, and you might need to be picked up from work. Break the speed limit, and you could be breaking plans with your mates. Leave L or N plates off your car, and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself, is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority.